from you. WGN Radio presents a conversation. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. A dialogue. What are you prepared to do? An astute debate. Everything that's in the law. And a peek behind the curtain of politics. And then what are you prepared to do? I think Chicago is not only the center of the country, I think it's the center of the world. Don't tread on them. Where did this statement come from? This is the Sunday Spin. Your host is the Chicago Tribune's Rick Pearson. Good Sunday evening, everyone. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune, and welcome to this edition of the Sunday Spin for February the 9th, 2020. Welcome to our look at the world of politics and policy as we take you from City Hall to the State House and all the way on to the White House. So, as Mama says, it's got to be 5 o'clock somewhere, so time to take a break, grab a beverage, and we'll get you prepared for the rest of your week. Well, we've got a shortened show ahead of the Blackhawks pregame with Chris Bowden and John and Troy handling the call against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. We've got a lot to pack in here, but hello, Roger Badish. Well, hello again, Mr. Rick Pearson. How are you doing? Uh, it's good to be back. Good to, uh, be back. Good to see you again. Uh, was uh, I was off last week mm-hmm. into the great uh, Hawkeye State for that little thing that they had going. They could, every four years they have that thing. Uh, what, that, what do they call it? A cartoon? No, no a, a, a cartoon is not a bad <laughs> phrase. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the, the Iowa caucuses, mm-hmm. and this was my fifth Iowa caucus, oh, by the way. Very good. You're a pro now. Uh, yeah. You know what? <laughs> there was nothing professional about that exercise. <laughs> no. I have to tell you, I, I have always loved the Iowa caucuses in the past, and it's a great way to see the candidates in a uh, – less guarded kind of atmosphere uh i mean one of my favorite stories was going to see joe biden a decade ago in a coffee shop in pella iowa yes pella windows oh okay and uh there was a group of about 30 people in the coffee shop Mm -hmm. and he spoke for an hour and a half not bad to 30 people an hour and a half then he said now i'll take some questions and then he took three questions and spoke for another hour. My goodness. So, uh, you know, I, I think when you were in the Senate, there's that uh, filibuster uh, kind of automatically kicks in. Yeah, yeah, after a certain time. And, and you can't be carrying, like, the dictionary and the Bible and, and other very <laughs> lengthy tomes with you to fill your time. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but, but I there yes, there is a certain charm to it. Um, I kind of like it, too, because you're right. It, it You're not doing big convention halls necessarily well you're see, you're that, hopping around from town to town and really getting to know the people one-on-one that's kind of what it used to be oh because now it really is becoming more of the made for tv events ah, I gotcha. and that you know particularly in the closing weeks you have uh candidates wanting to show support so they want these kind of made-for-TV realities. They need the visual. I mean, it's kind of like I was I was reading today about uh, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg out in New Hampshire and mm-hmm. Nashua, uh, where there was this line of people lined up waiting to go into this rally. And uh, my uh, friend Lauren Chulian used to work at WBEZ, now works for uh, New Hampshire Public Radio. Mm-hmm. And she called out, anybody here from New Hampshire? And there was no answer because they were all coming across the border from Massachusetts. Nashua is 35 miles from Boston. It's the same as Naperville to Chicago. Yeah. And a lot of 
uh, Massachusetts people went to hear him because they thought, you know, they're not going to see much of him when it comes to Super Tuesday. So, you know, you've got these kinds of mm-hmm. things. Always, obviously, Illinoisans going over to Iowa, the Quad Cities. Sure. Um, so, you know, there is a kind of a... a, a a method to trying to find the real voters in this and I gotcha. what they what they feel and you know there's a great deal of anticipation going into last monday uh no real clear-cut leader um and then uh it was kind of like uh, the iowa democratic party telling everybody the checks in the mail yeah <laughs> and we still haven't heard the end of that even though even though they're telling the candidates look you've got till monday and then it's done you know what you won't hear the end of it okay because the, it, this thing was so riddled with errors and confusion mm-hmm. um, i'm glad to say our monday chicago tribune story with my colleague bill ruthart that was basically the headline was that iowa, iowa may result in more confusion than clarity mm-hmm. and nevada now i'm reading has the same computer system no they do not they don't no, okay they're, they're uh-huh. very quick to say yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, that little smartphone app is yeah. not part of their equation. I got gotcha. Their okay. caucuses, but obviously, you know, it, it, it it's very frustrating because yeah. I think people were looking for some clarity when you're talking about you know a twelve person field, and you can't count on the counting being done right. And caucuses are different. Mm-hmm. Obviously, than, sure. than going into a primary, and you you have very cumbersome rules you also had some new rules changes that took effect this year uh, a result of uh, bernie sanders losing to hillary clinton by three tenths of a percent uh four years ago caucuses. Mm. so they're more transparency in numbers except the more transparency in numbers turned into more confusion right. and not necessarily transparency so mm. uh it's good to be back but at good. least i was uh i got my friend uh, damon murphy at the 801 chop house in des moines best best steakhouse outside chicago set me up for the super bowl so. you know the, these are the important things in life <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> when when you're a road correspondent <laughs> yep trust me roger that's always the important things. (laughs) That's Roger Baddish. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Up ahead on this pre- pre-game for the Blackhawks edition of the Sunday Spin. Uh, we've got uh, our little spin through uh, the politics of last week. And, uh, you know, when you think of it, this has just been one momentous week. You had the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. You had the State of the Union on Tuesday night. Then you had the actual final tally of the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump in the U.S. Senate on Wednesday, and then you kind of round out the week with uh, the president kind of playing cleaning house uh, in his uh, uh, National Security Council and uh, also with his uh, ambassador to uh, the uh, UE over issues of them testifying under oath at the request of Congress in those uh, hearings that led to the impeachment so all in all quite quite a week to sandwich things into um as i mentioned to roger the 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 iowa caucus debacle i think is a good place to start because this was an effort of people trying to look for some clarity in a large field but you had a new system of counting you had a bad phone app you had little training and it's volunteer run 
So it's not like when we do our primaries here in Illinois, where it's run as part of a government election board, the state board of elections or the city board of elections. It's run by volunteers. And this thing appeared really at times to be destined to fail. Confusion is a mild word for it. You have Pete Buttigieg with a lead of less than one-tenth of one percent over Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders in what's known as the delegate equivalency count. And that was the figure everybody had used for years on who wins the caucuses. Now, So you've got that. But then you've got questionable results. Uh, Buttigieg and Sanders claim victory. Sanders, under these new counting rules, Sanders actually turned out more people. But he also claims that there were problems in counting that robbed him of that delegate victory. So let's start out here right now with Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg, former mayor of South Bend, explaining to CNN why he claimed a victory in Iowa before any results had even been released. We got in rural areas, suburban areas, and urban areas, in Democratic counties and counties that voted for Trump. Uh, For a campaign that a year ago, I think a lot of people were questioning what right we even had to to do this and to make the attempt. And so uh, it's clearly a victory for us. So Buttigieg, and and truly, uh, I think everybody acknowledges the surprising finish that he made there, either being first or second, the fact that... uh, uh, he was able to put together a field operation like that. In the meantime, you had Elizabeth Warren, third, and former Vice President Joe Biden with a fourth-place finish. A lot of people kind of looking at Biden initially, sure, he had the name recognition, uh, but also uh, perhaps a comfort zone in the midst of these battles between uh, – ideological battles – between the more progressive candidates on the left – That'd be obviously Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And then the more progressive candidates, more moderate progressive candidates on the right, Buttigieg and Biden. So there you've got Buttigieg claiming victory. But then days later, when partial results of the Iowa caucuses finally showed up, Sanders claimed victory and he thanked Iowans. That screw up has been extremely unfair to the people of Iowa. It has been unfair to the candidates, all of the candidates, and all of their supporters. So what I want to do today, three days late, is to thank the people of Iowa for the very strong victory they gave us at the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. So... This is basically one of the fears going into the caucuses was the new counting procedures could result in one candidate winning the delegate count, the traditional count, and another candidate turning out more people to show up at the nearly 1,700 individual caucus sites, which then go on to select delegates to the state convention, and those state delegates then pick Iowa's 41 Uh, delegates to the Democratic National Convention. So, sure enough, on top of everything else, you've got that mixed result coming up. So now, you got the Iowa caucuses, people still don't know the results, and then the day after was the State of the Union address. Uh, The big apparent takeaway was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's decision to shred a copy of the President's speech after he was finished. Now, 
I think a lot of people thought it was a very strange move for Pelosi because she often counsels House Democrats not to try to play in the same sandbox as Trump does and not play his game. But uh, when she was asked about it, here's what Speaker Pelosi had to say. That was not a state of the union. That was a state, his state of mind. We want a state of the union. Where are we? Where are we going? And the rest. Not let me just show you how many guests I can draw. And let me say how I can give a medal of honor. Do it in your own office. We don't come in your office and do congressional business. Why are you doing that here? Quite frankly, when he started talking about someone with stage four cancer, all of that, I thought he was, I don't know which stage uh, John Lewis's cancer is at, but when he started talking about someone with cancer, we thought he was going to talk about John Lewis, a hero in our country. So in any event, I feel very liberated. I feel very liberated. I feel that uh, I've extended every possible courtesy. I've shown every level of respect. That's Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And, of course, she was alluding to the awarding of the Presidential Medal to Rush Limbaugh, who was in the gallery and has said he is suffering from stage four cancer and uh, using the congressional, basically the congressional gallery in an unusual move to award a presidential honor. Now, for his part, Trump said he didn't see Pelosi rip up the speech, but he's bought into a pretty far-fetched legal argument that's going on. Uh, That argument being that she destroyed government property. Here's the president of the United States. Well, I thought it was a terrible thing when she ripped up the speech. First of all, it's an official document. You're not allowed. It's illegal what she did. She broke the law. But I haven't uh, I haven't been asked a question other than a lot of people that viewed it. They couldn't believe that she did it. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was very disrespectful to the chamber and to the country. And, you know, look, I, people, I got very high marks on the speech. And I didn't know she did it until I was walking out. And some of the congressmen and women were saying, can you believe what she did? But I didn't know she did. And that's the president. Now, so that we have all of that going on. And then we move to Wednesday, where the Senate, sitting as jurors, vote on two articles of impeachment with Republicans in the majority. Of course, the outcome was never really in doubt that Trump would be acquitted. But then Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney did make it very interesting when he broke ranks on one article, the article of abuse of power. Here is Utah Republican Senator and one-time GOP presidential candidate Mitt Romney. The grave question the Constitution tasks answer is whether the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor. Yes, he did. The president asked a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president withheld vital military funds from that government to press it to do so. The president delayed funds for an American ally at war with Russian invaders. The president's purpose was personal and political. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. What he did was not perfect. No, it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security, and our fundamental values. 
Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. That's Mitt Romney. Now, of course, uh, President Trump not happy about that, spending a lot of time tweeting, even doing a political video against Romney. But in the East Room of the White House, Trump waved a newspaper saying, quote, Trump acquitted in a celebratory event where he chastised Democrats. And this is really not a news conference. It's not a speech. It's not anything. It's just we're sort of uh, it's a celebration because we have something that just worked out. I mean, it worked out. We went through hell unfairly, did nothing wrong, did nothing wrong. I've done things wrong in my life, I will admit. Not purposely, but I've done things wrong. But this is what the end result is. And that's Donald Trump in the East Wing of the White House celebrating his victory. That's all we have time for on this pregame shortened show. Blackhawks are coming up ahead. Chris Bowden has your pregame. And then it's the Blackhawks versus Winnipeg. Let's go Blackhawks. We need these points.